Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Well, as you can see, we're doing something a little different this morning. We're doing what one chapel likes to call five by seven. If you're here for Mother's Day, you're going to get to see each of these men speak for seven minutes on a topic. This morning, that topic is strength. So I'm going to give you a little bio of each one of these men up here, and is it, we're going to have some fun this morning. Y'all want to have some fun with this? It's going to be good. So first off, what? Y'all want to have fun? <laughs> yeah, anyway. Kyler Zimmerman is first off. He's the jokester of the group, as you can tell. No one's laughing. He's married to Senya. They've been married for 12 years. They have one kid, and they have one on the way. That's awesome. His occupation, he's a general contractor. He's lived in the Spicewood area for about one and a half years, and he's originally from Wildwood, Texas. Fun fact about Kyler, these are my favorite parts of all of these, is he has a passion and a heart to see others come to the knowledge of Christ. He never meets a stranger, and he's a competitive Uno player. So if any of you are interested in challenging him on that, then he's, he's down to throw down any time. I would go as far as to say he's, he's just competitive anything. Like if he sees a piece of paper rolling down the street, he's going to challenge you to see who can get to it faster. And so, yeah. He also, this is my favorite of all of them, he taught Josh Rockner everything he knows. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Next up, we have Dick Pickens. Woo, give it up for Dick. He's married to Nancy. They have been married for 62 years. Wow. He has four kids and 11 grandkids. His occupation, this is, this is awesome. This is a long list, so just bear with me. This guy has done it all. He has been a radio announcer slash DJ from ages 12 to 30. He's been a program manager from the ages of 22 to 30. He's a licensed radio engineer since 1964. He's a UT graduate in 1967. Seminary graduate in 1970, Master's of Divinity degree. And he was a Teens Challenge director from 1970 to 1976. Ministry positions in four churches and a supply pastor to two other churches from 1976 to 1989. He's a manager of a communications company from 1976 to 82. And a lectureship position at UT College of Communications in 1980s. Radio slash TV inspector for FCC and Texas Association of Broadcasters from 1988 to 2018. Wow, that's awesome. He's lived in this area since 1990. He is from Jacksonville, Texas. Um, fun fact is he hosted a radio kids show at the age of 10 and 11, and Nancy was his piano player at age 8. Aww, that is cool. Dick was inducted into the Texas Radio Hall of Fame in 2012 under his air name, Dick Lane. Ooh, mysterious. Next up, we have Greg Lissandro. Everyone give it up for Greg. He's married to Stephanie. They've been married 24 blessed years. They have four kids, and they don't have any grandkids yet. Their occupation slash vocation, his, he's a veterinarian specialist in veterinary emergency and critical care. He's been in this area for one and a half years. He's originally from Jamestown, New York, which is the home of Lucille Ball, Roger Troy, <laughs> Troy Peterson, and the 10,000 Maniacs Band. Like I said earlier, I don't really know who any of that is, but it's, it's fun. So he can do several, this is, this is very impressive. He can do several one-and-a-half somersault dives. And maybe, just maybe, he can still ride a unicycle. Or, sorry, that's, it went down. Yeah, he can still ride a unicycle backwards with one foot. I don't even know how you get on one with one foot. That doesn't make any sense. 
backwards with one foot. See, even when you try to describe it, I still can't picture it in my mind. It doesn't help me. Next up, we have Josh Rockner. Give it up. Come on. We need a little more energy in this place. First service is like wide awake. It's, it should be y'all that are wide awake. Put some pep in your step. He's married to Chrissy. They've been married for two and a half years. They don't have any kids yet. Um, his occupation is technology consultant. He has been in this area for one and a half years. He's originally from South Houston. Fun fact, this is probably my favorite fun fact out of anybody, just so y'all know. Is he, in college, Josh was a member of the Texas Juggling Society. He owns a clown costume, a unicycle, and lots of juggling equipment. If he could do it all over, he would join the circus and pursue a career in clowning. Which I believe he already has a pretty good career in clowning, if you ask me. Next up, we have Craig Bryant. Give it up for Craig. He's married to Amelia. They've been married for 16 years. They have two kids. He is a high school engineer teacher. And this guy, I tell you, is one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life. He could not only tell you how something works, probably tell you how it was built, and then go build one. Maybe I'm cheating a little high, but that's what I think. Fun fact, or he's originally from Dallas, Texas. Fun fact, his hobby is long-distance shooting, and this guy can shoot a golf ball at 1,000 yards. I would like to see that. That is awesome. So let's give it up for these guys again. I'm going to start off with Kyler Zimmerman. Give it up, everybody. Hey, he missed, he missed strength is Dan. Strength is Dan. No. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, strength, I believe, uh, obviously there's all kinds of strength, but strength is unity. Uh, growing up, I was in a, a specific non-denominational church. It was a wonderful church, got a good foundation, biblically speaking, uh, but I saw some abuses growing up of, of, of just some things that kind of turned me off to the move of the Spirit for quite some time. Uh, but but one, one passion of mine growing up is I had a desire to, at one point in time, you know, break down denominational walls. You know, obviously there's different de denominations in the body of Christ, and, and unity is, is near and dear to my heart. And so one thing I felt like God would want me to do is, is you know, link up denominations to where it's not about, uh, uh, you're not going to have a Pentecostal gate or a, a, a Presbyterian gate or Methodist gate, Catholic gate. It's all about Jesus. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's about the truth of God's word. It's about applying that to our lives. And so something that was near and dear to my heart was unity, unity in the body of Christ, unity uh, in, in denominations. So with that, I, I believe there's strength in unity. Uh, we look at the Tower of Babel, you know, one, one account in Scripture that we see, uh, Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading here in verse 4. It says, They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Obviously, we understand that, that the, the reason why they were doing that was for self, selfish gain. But one thing that God did say there is they were one. And they said, he said that nothing that they would do would be impossible for them. And it's important that we understand that as the body of Christ. When we are in a unit, when we work together as one, there's more that we can accomplish for the purposes and for the glory of God. God did not die for just one. He died for the whole to make them one. Amen? 
and we're called to be one in Christ. Uh, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, um, it talks a little bit about something that, that the Lord hates. Um, he says seven things that the, the Lord hates. One of those, or uh, six of those the Lord hates. The seventh is an abomination to the Lord. Let's see what he says about that. Uh, I'm going to say the seventh one, and it is simply uh, is, a, is a man or an individual, one who spreads strife among brothers. The Lord hates when someone spreads strife amongst the brethren, the body of Christ. What is the definition of strife? It is angry or bitter disagreement over fundamental issues or conflict. Angry. It's, it's when we have a conflict or there's, there's these, these differences that we might have due to fundamental beliefs or whatever. It causes division. It causes a, 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 a chasm to take place within a unit, right? And, and we're called to, to come out from that. We're called to be separated from that and be unified. The Lord hates it. The Lord hates conflict. We, we saw it right here. He hates disunity. Why? Why do you think the Lord hates disunity? Ultimately, it's because it divides the work that He's called us to do. We're called to be reconcilers to this world. We're called to 2 Corinthians 5.20. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, that we may reconcile the world back to Himself. We, we've been given that ministry. So if the enemy can come in and put a, a, a break there, he's going to do it, right? We're called to forgive. In order for us to be forgiven, what do we have to do? Forgive. If you have an ought against your brother, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go talk to our neighbor about it? Are we supposed to talk to our spouse about it? Are we supposed to talk to our friend? No, no. We're not supposed to gossip. Gossip tears in the roads, right? We're called to go to that person and make it right. Forgive, to be forgiven. Jesus said it, right? And then how will the world know that we're his disciples but by the what? Love we have for one another. So if God calls us to this unity, if he calls us to reconcile, if he calls us to forgive, if he calls us to love, why is he doing those things? Because ultimately we are the agent by whom the world will see him. So obviously there's power and there's strength in understanding that when we unify as the bride, as the body, I need you. I need, you look to your neighbor, you think, I need my neighbor. You need that person. You're not, we're not just one individual in here. You might be, we might be speaking to you this morning, but it's, this is a corporate thing. We're called to be one. Jesus died for the whole, not just you, right? And, uh, you know, so, Psalm 133.1, it says, How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And that also means sisters as well, right? Brother and sister and, you know, whatever. But God calls us to be unified. It's pleasant. It's a beautiful thing to be unified. And again, when, when, when the world sees that we're not unified as the body of Christ, guess who has a small victory in that? The enemy. The enemy has a small victory there. So when he can get us divided on little fundamental issues, when he can stir up a little bit of conflict and, and bring this thought into you about this, somebody that you're serving alongside, I just don't, I don't want to prefer this guy right here. He's just, he's just he's not like me. You know, whatever. Whatever the case may be, if the enemy can get in there and he can cause division, what's it called? Divide in what? Imagine that. So, we're called to be one. They, they were able to build a tower to the heavens. Why? Because they were one. And there was nothing that was going to be impossible for them. God calls us, calls, calls us to be that as well, one. And in John 17, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he's praying to the Father. It wasn't Father's Day, but he was praying to the Father. Ultimately praying for his disciples, for those, those and that not only them, but on those who would believe on him through the disciples' word. And I'll pick up in 
verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe on me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for unity. Jesus prayed that they would all be one as, we, as, as they were one, that we as the body of Christ would be one. So we ought to strive to be strong in the power of the Lord and the strength of his might. Amen? Be unified. Thank you. Strength is on the way. But before I explain that, I feel the need to show some transparency and uh, full disclosure. And so I am going to make a confession to the body of Christ. I used to be a 98-pound weakling. Surprise? <laughs> yes, I, I tried seventh grade football. That's that game where everybody knocks somebody down. And I was always the first one to be on the ground. And, and I, I didn't want to appear to be chicken. So when the other guys asked me if I'd appear in a boxing match after school one day, I said, sure. But I lost by a split decision. My nose. But basketball wasn't so bad because I was the best corner shot in Eastside Elementary School in the seventh grade. But then when I went out for basketball in high school, a funny thing happened. All of those guys my age became six foot five, and I was still a five foot eight runt. Basketball was also something that required all of the team members in workouts to duck walk around the entire gymnasium two times in order to make the team. If you don't know what duck walking is, look it up on the internet. You'll find it there and then try it at home. But I didn't make the team, obviously, and that turned out to be a pretty good thing for them, especially because they went on later to become state champions. Me, I, I managed to show some muscle by... <laughs> carrying the tuba in the high school marching band. And all through my young years, I was haunted by these Charles Atlas ads. The older ones of you will remember them. They were in the comic books and in the Sunday funnies. And these are the ads that put 98-pound weakling into the masculine dictionary. Like this ad here where the guy and his girlfriend are on the beach and this big bully comes up and kicks sand in their faces. 
and he's unable to do anything about it because he's so scrawny like I was. And right or wrong, as I look back on it now, manly strength was considered to be a must in my generation. Why, even the ads for Baby Ruth candy bars promised energy. And I was looking for energy and strength in all the wrong places. Well, I, I, I dumped the comic books, and along the way, and this is the truth, I found the Bible. A lot better than comic books, by the way. And I found in Habakkuk 3.19 where it said, The Lord God is my strength. And I discovered the Bible was full of promises about a new and improved kind of strength. I read in 1 Samuel where it is not by mere strength that a man prevails. By the way, that quote came not from a man, but from a woman. And the prayers of women are extremely important to us men. That was Hannah. And if you don't know the story of Hannah, read it in the first two chapters of 1 Samuel. Now, I warn you, though, that your translation may read, it is not by strength that a person prevails. That's the politically correct translation. But Hannah didn't use the word for person. In the Hebrew, she used the word for a real man, masculine. Both Old and New Testaments give our word strength a whole new definition. No barbells, no power racks, no bow flex. <laughs> Just the exercise that Jesus promised to us, a totally different kind of exercise called prayer in the Spirit. Later in the shortest New Testament epistle, Jesus' half-brother Jude wrote this reminder. Jude described that best bodybuilding routine as the exercise of your most holy faith, using that tool of praying in the Spirit. And Jesus promised to spend the Spirit postage paid. By the age of 30, I finally was able to discover what that was all about, and I wished, oh, I wished like everything that I had discovered it earlier in my marriage and earlier in raising my children. I was able, though, to make up because of praying in the Spirit. I was able to make up for some of those years of weakness using Jude's bodybuilding, weightlifting exercise, praying in the Spirit. We men really need that spiritual strength, if for no other reason than to be able to pray for our wives and for our families. I thought everything was solved at that point, but then I have discovered in more recent years that there is another uh, onset that can come against us men. And I warn you to beware of the onset of sarcopenia. You do know what that means, don't you guys? It's a, it's a medical condition which late in life causes our muscles to lose their effectiveness. That's the physical definition. But I find there's also a spiritual version of sarcopenia that it very easily comes into our lives. And there's always a way to discourage those kinds of things if you know your Bible. And here's how you do it. How, here's how you put it off. You do a study of the older men of the Bible like Abraham. Bless his heart, in Hebrews eleven twelve, 12, 
It says jokingly, Abraham was as good as dead when God sent him his last job assignment. Well, Abe's response, I'm sure, to God was, you're kidding, right? You, some of you will know what I'm talking about here. But look what that dude did at age 99. What a guy. What a God. Then Moses really stepped up at age 80. That was his start in his big start in life. He had that summit with Pharaoh and he won the argument and he leads 2.4 million Hebrew people across an, a waterway and across a desert for 40 years. And in his spare time, he writes five books, which we still have today in 670 different languages. And the rabbis tell us that Moses translated 70 of those languages himself. <laughs> How about John the Elder Elder? That's my nickname for John. The Elder Elder. He saw visions, and he wrote the Revelation at age 92. So Isaiah was really serious when he wrote, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Regardless of age, strength is on the way. Jesus promised if you imperfect fathers know how to give your children what they need, how much more will the perfect Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit's fullness when his children ask him? That's uh, adapted from the Passion Translation. Very interesting. Now, I'm 82. I'm not quite as good as dead, but original parts are beginning to show some wear and tear. So I recently went to the orthopedist, and I managed amazingly to pass all of his little physical tests that he gave me. And on his last test, he said, one more thing. How high can you hold your hands? He said, pretty good. I said, I learned to do that when I was 30, and I've been doing it ever since. You want the microphone? <laughs> you have to forgive me. That was my career with the microphone. Thank you. Well, strength is my salvation. Strength is John 3.16. That the Lord so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will, have, uh, will not perish but have eternal life. And that is one of the most important scriptures in the Bible, isn't it? It's one that, um, that is the good news. It's one that gives us hope. It's one that gives us um, the... Uh, confidence we need to live out God's will and to, to um, uh, have faith and trust in the special plan that he has for us in our lives. It also gives us the courage to uh, walk with the Lord on a daily basis. It also gives us the courage to, um, to make it through those hard times, and it also gives us the courage to fend off uh, Satan's temptations. And then lastly, it gives us assurance that when we pass from this earthly life that we will have um, eternal life in heaven, in the, in the glory and splendor of heaven. So when uh, Pastor Russ asked me to um, uh, speak today and present um, 
initially, the Lord put John 3.16 on my heart. And it took a few days, and I, I waited for an affirmation. And I was in San Antonio on business. I was at a hotel, and the affirmation came when I checked out the next morning. And the uh, gal behind the counter said, what room are you in, sir? And I said, 316. And then it dawned on me that um, I could have said John 316 with a big smile on my face. Um, the Lord has put me in different paths. And recently, just the last few weeks, I've gone from uh, going to the promised land, Israel. Um, yeah, that was really terrific. Um, with God's chosen people in the birthplace of Christianity. And then a week later, I guess he has a sense of humor. He sent me to the Galapagos Islands. I was on San Cristobal Island, which is uh, where Charles Darwin, right, spent much of his time and penned the origin of species and, you know, the birthplace of modern evolution. Um, so it was kind of interesting, and I'm still reflecting on that, why the Lord put me in those two places. There's got to be a reason. Uh, recently, I was um, blessed to go to Israel with my lovely wife, Stephanie, and that was beyond our wildest dreams as veterinarians to go to Israel. We had some extra time in Israel, and we got to go to places that, um, you know, stories in the Bible took place, and we got to walk in the same places that Jesus and his disciples walked, they preached, and they performed miracles. So that was truly inspirational, um, and it leads me into seeing the Israeli people being a joyful people, and it leads me into the fact that um, they celebrate the Sabbath, they honor the Sabbath, it's a commandment. And going through Catalyst, um, I learned that I've been really negligent in honoring the Sabbath, and that we really need to take that day of rest, we need to reflect and spend time with our family and friends, and spend time with God on those days. And in Tel Aviv, they closed most of the businesses and uh, the people, the citizens of Tel Aviv were out on those beautiful beaches of Tel Aviv. It truly is beautiful. The Mediterranean Sea was crystal clear. It was this beautiful blue. And off in the distance was the old city of Jaffa where, um, in part, the story of Jonah took place. So a really phenomenal place. Um, so I know a lot of you are driven men just like I am, and it's a really tough commandment to adhere to. But I made that a priority to honor the Sabbath which leads me into my final um, story, and it dates back to childhood. And when I was a child growing up in um, an Italian Catholic family, we went to church every Sunday, and we also honored the Sabbath. And on most uh, Sundays, we would head down to my grandparents' farm. It was a modest home. They um, would always say that we're poor, but we're rich in spirit. They had a mom-and-pop grocery store that they maintained, just the two of them, six days a week, but they always closed on Sundays. And uh, on those Sundays, my grandmother would make just a phenomenal feast. And I think all the aunts and uncles and cousins and friends of the family knew that she was cooking that day, and they'd show up for the leftovers because there'd be plenty of those. And my grandmother fed everybody who came through the door. What we ended up doing on most days, especially when it was football season, is we'd end up in the living room. And in the living room, we just all crowd in there. And um, I guess my kids probably now realize why I like to get close to them, and they don't like to get close to me. But we would all cram on the couch, and we'd sit on aunts and uncles' knees, and we would have a great time. We'd be laying on the floor. Everybody would be crowded in that room. And one of the most memorable um, events on one of those Sundays watching the NFL game actually was the Miami Dolphins playing the Kansas City Chiefs. 
and that was the longest game in NFL history. It was double overtime. And when I looked it up uh, before I presented today, I forgot the score. And I also failed to remember that it was actually on Christmas Day. But the most vivid memory I have from that day is that when extra points and field goals were kicked, there was a man in the end zone holding up a sign that said John 3.16. And when I saw that several times, I finally spoke up in the room and I asked everyone in there, um, what is John 3.16? And I wondered the impact it would have had on me, my siblings, those in the room, if someone would have spoke up and said, Greg, that's the good news. That is that the Lord, that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son so that those of us who believe in our Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ, that we will not perish but have eternal life. So my prayer for you today is never underestimate the influence you have on people in your daily walk. And my prayer to you today is, is um, to memorize that verse if you haven't, and I hope it inspires you to read the Bible, memorize scripture, and reflect on it every day. And my prayer to you is that you have the same strength with John 3.16. And that you have that hope, you have that confidence, and you have that courage, and you have that assurance that you have everlasting life. And lastly, um, I pray that you share the word when you have the opportunity to lead your friends, family, or strangers to um, Christ. And I pray all those in Jesus' name. Awesome, so I was committed to telling some new jokes this time around, but I can't help myself, Kyler, because you definitely did not teach me how to ride a unicycle and juggle, and I think I'm beating you at ping pong pool, uh, darts, shuffleboard, foosball, basketball until yesterday. All right. <laughs> Strength is leading people to life and not death. It's leading people to life and not death, no matter what we have going on in our lives, no matter how much complexity that we have in our lives, no matter how empty our gas tank is, it's making an investment in somebody else's life. And ultimately, I think it's believing that God will fill us back up with strength if we take that step, as Dan had mentioned, and help somebody get from point A to point B. When I was a young kid, my parents are here, raise your hand, they're happy. And my beautiful wife, Chrissy, raise your hand. When I was a kid, they used to always invest in me. They still do. And, but they would kind of drop these little nuggets of wisdom into my life. And it took me 30-something years to really kind of figure out all the depth of all these little simple things that they would share with me. And one of the things that they used to tell me as a kid, they would say, Josh, when you get older, as you grow up, you're going to be a leader. And the other thing is not just going to be a leader, but people are going to be drawn towards you. And I was kind of like Dennis the Menace when I was a kid. So I'd be like, Mom, Dad, not going to be a leader. No thanks. Thanks for no thanks. They say, here's the thing. What you need to know is that God designed you this way. You know why? I'm like, well, why? They say, because your name's Joshua. And you led the people of Israel, and you're going to lead the people now. I said, all right, fine. You win. They said, but here's the thing. They always like to give me options, but I couldn't have them all. I could only pick one or two of the options. And they said that, here's the thing. God designed you to be a leader and to lead people. They say, but you have a decision every single day of your life. I have a decision every day of my life. You have a decision every day of your life. It's one of two things. 
You can either lead people towards life or you can lead people towards death. What are you going to choose? Well, I don't want to lead people towards death. Who wants to do that? This is, this is monumental. This is huge. This is every day of my life. I don't know about you, but every day I wake up and I've got to make a decision. I'm a computer science guy, so I'm a one or a zero. I'm a true or a false. I'm on or I'm off. I got life coming out or I got death coming out. I'm, no, I'm usually not in between, and I think there's other people that are like that, and it's tough. It is tough because we prioritize our own lives, especially when our, the gas tank of our life is empty. What are we going to do? We're going to try to fill up the gas tank. We're not going to fill up someone else's gas tank. My wife and I, we were going through the Catalyst program uh, here at One Chapel, which is the discipleship curriculum, and it's just awesome. It just unpacks things about who you are as a person and your purpose in life and your relationship with God. And, you know, one of the things that Pastor Russ had really challenged us on, and Kyler always challenges me on this as well, give me a little credit, I'm beating up on you, is to memorize and meditate on Scripture. Because it's super important. you got to do it. And I always say I'll try anything at least once. It's got me in trouble over the years. And so I, I did. The Romans 15.1, it really stuck out. And then, of course, Pastor Russ kind of emphasized it through our Roman study these past several months. But over the last six months, every day I'd wake up, Romans 15.1, let's go. Or I'd tell someone about it, or I'd think about it, or I'd say it. It says that those of us who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And at the very end, it says, and not to please ourselves. Like, oh, gosh. King James says that those of us who are strong have an obligation to bear with the infirmities of the weak, like physical and mental weakness. And there's three little things, three little nuggets that kind of came out of this very simple scripture. It's amazing. You can just kind of like chew on these things, and they're just like more and more just keeps coming. There's these three little things. And the first one is who's strong? That's what I ask myself. Who's strong? I'm strong. You're strong. We've got the Lord with us. We've got to believe that every single day of our life. Joshua 1, nine it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, because the Lord will be with you wherever you go. Cole, the Lord is with you. You're strong, buddy. You're awesome. We've got to believe that every day of our lives. The second we stop believing that, we're done. Like my wife, Chrissy, she's awesome. She knows. Like I walk out, and you know, before I walk out, I'm like, I'm weak, I'm not strong, I don't have any courage, I'm discouraged, I'm afraid, let's go! And I walk out and she's like, whoa, what's happening right here? Like, why don't you start, start over again? The second thing is that it's not really an option for us to make an investment in somebody else's life. Those of us who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak. It's a get-to, it's a privilege. Most of the time in Scripture when God tells us something... He means it for a reason. He's either protecting us or he wants to give us favor or blessing. Super important. All these guys have made an investment in me. All of them. In all different kinds of ways. Kyler made an investment in me in basketball. Now I'm better than him at basketball. He, earlier he's like, hey, bro, I think I'm up now, and it's because my ankle's been hurt, so just back up. <laughs> True story. The third thing is that it's not about me, and it's really not about you, and it's not about us making investment in people that are just like us. I tried my whole life to surround myself with people that are real cool. Like, you need your cool friends. There's no doubt about it. But we got to surround ourselves with people that are different than us. That's the only way for us to make an investment in each other and raise the water levels in our lives. It's super, super important. 
And what's even crazier about this is that we always think, you know, I wake up at the beginning of the day and I'm like, man, I got these big rocks that I got to move, like big stuff. Either make an investment in somebody or a big issue at work or something that I got to work through. Well, here, I got good news and I got bad news. Proverbs 18.21, it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Well, I'll tell you the good news first. The good news is that one word, we can speak one word to someone and we can speak life into them. The bad news is we can speak one word and we can speak death into their life. That's super important for us. That regardless we got gas in our tank or not, that we understand how important that little investment is, big or small. And I guess the kind of last couple of things that I'll say is Luke 9.23, and I'll kind of speed up, I'm almost out of time, is that you know, I always wondered what picking up my cross daily and following Jesus was all about, denying myself, and that's how you become a disciple. And, uh, you know, there's some people that actually march down the street with a cross. I mean, they're pretty brave. But no, I don't think that's what that means. I think what it means is that we wake up every day and we believe that it's a commandment for us to be strong and courageous and not to be afraid or discouraged because the Lord is with us wherever we go. And I think it's a privilege and a commandment that we make an investment in other people, even if they're small things. And I think we must believe that these little investments that we make, that God will keep filling us up with more and more strength. And then in closing, uh, and I think most importantly, is that when we're at the seat of God, when you're at the seat of God, Eric, and you're seeing your life before you, and you're going to see all the bad things you did and all the good things you did, and it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty overwhelming. And you're a great guy. And, and I think what's going to be so overwhelming about it is when you went, he's, God's going to show, he's going to slow, it, slow down the movie, and it's going to show when you had no gas left in your tank. And he went and made it, and you went and made an investment in little Johnny's life, and little Johnny went and made an investment in David's life, and David went and made an investment in Nicole's life, and Nicole went and invested in Kim, and Kim went and invested in Russ, and then Russ went and invested in one chapel, and then one chapel went and invested in all the hundreds of thousands of people that one chapel is investing in. I think that's what's going to be overwhelming, to see that one little investment had 100 years of, of impact. So my prayer for us today is that we believe Joshua 1.9. We believe in Luke 9.23. We believe in Proverbs 18.21 that if we can take that next step, make an investment in somebody else's life, that God will fill us up with more strength to keep fighting the fight. Amen. Thank you. Strength is weakness. Weakness is not the first word most people think of when defining the word strength. If you open up the dictionary, you'll find about half a dozen different definitions of how our culture views strength. Power, physical ability, mental fortitude, the ability to withstand pressure or force. Not a hint of weakness in all of our definitions. Although weakness does appear in the definition, it's just our culture goes so far as to define strength as the exact opposite. Weakness is in the list of antonyms. But I would submit to you that the Bible teaches something else. It's counterintuitive, but that wouldn't be the first time that God did something that doesn't really make sense to us. We see it in the New Testament. The first will be last. The least of you will be greatest. If you want to save this life, you must lose it. 
he said that my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. And with respect to strength, he, he taught us through Paul in 1 Corinthians one twenty seven, For God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the strong, so that none may boast before him. Because God knows how our strength plays out. He's given strength to some in this world. The problem is that when we know a measure of success, we tend to take credit for it. See that? I did that. Um, we become self-reliant instead of being reliant on God. And he knows that eventually our strength will give out, that we will not have enough to fight the battles that we need to fight. Because for the believer, it's easy to see the human side of the problem that we're facing, the person we're having a relationship difficulty with. But maybe we miss the fact that there's a spiritual reality behind that, a spirit of lying and deception or pride and arrogance that might be stoking the fire. And I don't care how strong you are, you're never going to be strong enough with mortal strength to fight a supernatural battle. Perhaps most important, when we become strong, we become firm, resolute, unshakable, unshapeable. We forget that God is the rock, and he didn't call us to be rocks. He calls us to be clay. Clay is soft. It's moldable, shapeable. Not really much more than mud, but in the hands of a potter, it can be made into something worthwhile, something of value with purpose. But it's only when the potter chooses to then put it into fire and fire it that it then receives a strength to go out and fulfill the purpose for which it was created. I would like for you to believe that I'm speaking on this topic because I am a subject matter expert. But the truth is, um, I am not. I spent 31 years of my life building myself up into the image of strength that, that I saw, not too far off from what Dick shared. And I would have always given God the glory he created me, he gave me strength, but I wonder if I ever really trusted him. And it's taken the last 10 years for me to see that I, I built myself up with physical strength, financial strength, emotional strength, spiritual strength, or so I thought. And in the last 10 years, things have happened that have caused me to realize that all of those things were false security. In 2007, we were living in Asia, and I got so sick, I fell ill, um, I, I almost died in China. And we came back to the United States for me to get treatment to find out that it's not really a cure. You treat, treat the symptoms, and you try to, try to deal with it and move on. And I hadn't even learned to deal with it when I had to have emergency neck surgery. I was losing the ability to use my, my arms. I woke up from the surgery, and my left arm did not work. My deltoid was not functioning, and it took months of physical therapy before uh, it started working properly. I didn't, didn't really know until that point whether I was going to get it back at all, and then months more of, of therapy to, to get it to work like it should. A few years passed. Um, it was a really dark time for me. I, all of my physical confidence had been, had been taken away. That whole, the whole image of strength. I lived in fear. 
I was consumed by it in many ways that I would experience that level of pain again that I would have to have another surgery. A few years passed and in 2014 I lost my job and suddenly I came to realize exactly how much I had been trusting in the paycheck and in the insurance plan and the 401k as though God needs AMD in order to provide for us. I applied to countless positions and I did not find work back in my industry and suddenly all of the degrees, the, the degrees that I have mean nothing. They don't provide. Well, about three years ago, my wife Amelia and I moved out here with our family to try to find a simpler life. And it seems like most of what we've tried to do, we've been met with obstacles and frustration. And then in the last year, for those of you who know me well, um, I've gotten to the point where I've had to realize I've been fighting a battle with depression for my entire life. And in the last year, I have lost that fight. I mean, it's Father's Day. I wanted to grow up to be a father provided for his children, a husband provided for his wife. And I'm in this place now where I, I can't do that. I'm, there's shame, there's guilt. And it was about that time that Pastor Russ uh, emailed me and said, hey, Craig, you want to talk on Father's Day? The topic is strength. Russ, you and I have been meeting for the last year. Have you not been paying attention? I've been encouraged by this study. It's brought back a lot of, God has brought me to a lot of passages that I had long since forgotten. I don't know where you are in this fight. If you're already strength, uh, strengthened by God, walking in your purpose, I would encourage you that, that Josh is right that um, it's your job to be strong for those who cannot. I would encourage you to listen to Kyler. I think he's right. There's unity. There's strength in unity. But if you're where I am, then maybe you'll take some, some hope in knowing that God has brought others through this path, and that's where I choose to put my faith, that in 2 Corinthians it says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me, that I may know when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. Wasn't that awesome? Let's give it up for him again. That was so good. That was so good. A true display of strength this morning. I, the word that I feel like the Lord gave for me was strength is humility. And it is, it is such a display of humility to come up here and, and be vulnerable as a man and say, this is where I'm not, or this is what I believe, but, but I put it on something else, the fact that, that I can't will it to happen, that I can't do it out of my own strength. That's what strength is to me. To me, that is true humility. And so, so thankful for these men up here. What I want to do is, is give them an opportunity to pray over anyone who, who this may have um, impacted or, or touched a place in your life that, that you are needing the same kind of understanding or breakthrough of what strength can be for you. Um, each one of these men have, have shared a different aspect of, of their life and a story that I think um, could cover any person in this room. So we're also going to have the prayer team um, kind of scattered around, but, but I just want them to go ahead and uh, come up front. 
and the tech team's going to play uh, some songs just so, you know, we want to, we just want to invite you. I don't, if there's something that is on your heart, that's stirred on your heart from this day, um, don't leave this building or this room without getting prayer um, this morning. Um, I once again, I'll say happy Father's Day. And what an awesome day it is to not only, um, to not only hear these stories, but to be reminded that, that the strength is in our Father. That we can truly, <laughs> we can truly come to know that, that strength is in um, the finished work of Jesus. And so, so I want to, I want to bless you all this morning. If you'd stand with me, I'm going to pray over you. And then uh, before you go, if you'd, if you'd like prayer, um, there's these men in the uh, prayer team around. Lord, we just thank you so, so much that you have, that you have brought it all back to you, Lord, that, that it is not in my strength, Lord, but even in my weakness, God, that I can boast all the more for what you have done. And so, Father, we, we just, on this day, Lord, um, it may not be a day that brings warm feelings for some or, or have um, a time of great memories, Lord, but, but we pray that you would restore all of those things back to the image of the true Father. Lord, I thank you for the fathers that are, that are out there that are, are leading away, Lord, and leading their families well. And I pray that you would bless every person in this room, Lord, that they would just um, feel the strength um, from these men, Lord, and from their stories and know that they draw upon you, Lord, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just ask that your, your face would shine upon them, that you would bless them, Lord. And as they go about their day, that we could um, truly celebrate that, that life is ours. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Once again, happy Father's Day. There's a man cave out there full of bacon and goodies. So if you are a man, not just a father, there's like six dozen donuts. Go get full. <laughs>